out here a few moments ago while we were doing our appreciation for our veterans, but I want to echo uh, all of that as well to every single one of you who are here who have, have served or are serving uh, our thankfulness and appreciation uh, for you. Well, this morning we're going to be in 1 John, if you have your Bibles, 1 John. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, grab one in the pew in front of you. First John is toward the back of your Bible. There is a Gospel of John, but that's not where we'll be today. There are a group, there's a grouping of letters, uh, first, second, and third John, toward the back of your Bible, uh, smaller letters, and we're going to be in First John today. As you're turning there, I want you to think about the concept of asking questions. Asking questions, we know, uh, is very important because that's how we learn, right? Uh, growing up, uh, chances are many of you asked a lot of questions. In high school and college, you were challenged and pushed to ask, ask questions uh, in the classroom because that's how we learn. Uh, I've mentioned from time, and time to time, my kids ask me a lot of questions, and there are many times that I'm very flattered that they think that I know the answer to what they're asking. Uh, you know, they'll ask me different things about, uh, you know, Jack will ask me random baseball stats or they'll ask me how to fix something or how certain thing works or what happened way back when in the ancient times of the 90s or whatever that is, uh, you know, different things like that. And, but oftentimes I get humbled by the questions they ask me because I have to look at them and say, I don't know, you know, but I'm glad you do know. And I have to say, go ask your mom who does know or go, you know, go find it out online or I'll help them find it. Different things like that. But, you know, the reason they ask questions is they want to learn and they, they want to know these things. And I think that's the reason we all ask questions, right? Now, there are some questions in life that are more important than others, but I want to also say there are questions in life that I would say are the most important questions. And among those questions, I would say one of the most important questions that we can ask, every single one of us in here today should ask, is how can I know that I'm saved? How can I know that I have salvation? How can I know that I'm going to heaven? This question is extremely important because eternity hangs in the balance uh, for the answer or in the answer to this question. And this is one question that I've been asked by numerous people throughout my ministry. How can I know that I've saved? I've been asked that question by people who are saved. I've been asked that question by people who aren't saved. And I've been asked that question by people who may have walked an aisle or prayed a prayer or had an emotional experience and now they're at a point that they just don't feel saved. The Bible speaks to this in several places. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, uh, Paul addresses this. He says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. He says, examine yourselves, or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? So Paul told the Corinthian church that they needed to test themselves and examine themselves to see if they're in the faith. 2 Peter 1, verse 10 and 11, Peter says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you'll never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. So we have at least a couple instances in Scripture that tell churches explicitly to examine themselves to make sure that they're saved. 
to examine themselves to make sure that they're in the faith. And this morning, for every single one of us, I think it's important that we do the same, that we don't just assume that we're saved because we've been to church for years or assume that we, we're saved because we're looking at something, this or that, you know, assessing by the wrong set of standards. And so this morning, I've entitled the message, Signs of Salvation, How You Can Know You're Saved. Signs of salvation, how you can know you're saved. And in assessing our salvation, I think there are a couple of categories that people tend to lean upon when it comes to to looking at and examining if they're saved. First of all, I think a lot of people look to emotions or feelings. You know, when, when we come to Christ, when, when we are saved, or, or maybe when we go to a church event or worship event or have some kind of monumental uh, decision or monumental situation in our lives take place, there can be a lot of emotions and feelings wrapped up in, in those situations, right? Chances are you can look back to, if you grew up in the church, you can look back to a time in Bible school. You can look back to a time at youth camp. You can look back to a, maybe a, a Christmas service or an Easter service where you walked out of that place thinking that was so powerful. That was so moving, and you just had a lot of emotion and feeling behind it. We can look back at different things like that, but our feelings and emotions, and let me just say, they are good gifts from God and blessings from God if we use them in a godly way, but our, our feelings and emotions, while I'm thankful for them, They are never presented in Scripture as a metric for assurance of our faith. And let me say that again in case you have been thinking or banking on emotions or feelings for one way or the other. That's not the metric that Scripture gives us to assess our faith. Now, another category that I think a lot of people lean upon and depend upon when they assess their salvation is that of as I've mentioned already, this idea of walking the aisle or whatever, and I I would label this kind of as a moment-in-time decision. Now, if you sit in the room with a lot of people giving their testimonies, many people will talk about this moment-in-time decision. You've heard me talk about this as well. Uh, For me, I remember uh, when I was five years old, kneeling around a coffee table in, in my family's living room with my mom and my dad, and in my mind's eye, I can still see it pretty Pretty vividly, I'm, you know, at this point in my life, I may have some of the details mixed up and think I know, you know, more about how it looked than it actually did. But I remember that moment in time where I kneeled down and prayed for the Lord to save me. I remember the emotions and feelings that surrounded that moment in time. And when I got up and start to tell people that I got saved, and even to this day when I tell people I got saved, I look back to that and I say, that's the moment that I trusted in Jesus. And for all of us here today, we probably look back, if you're in Christ, at a moment in time that you made a decision. But when it comes to assessing our salvation, the Bible doesn't merely instruct us to look at a moment in time decision, but to primarily assess what happened after that moment in time decision. Now again, that's not to say we we don't hold on to that moment in time, but the Bible says from that point on, how we assess our salvation, how we assess if we are really in the faith is what happened after that decision. And so we're going to look at 1 John, and we're going to see some of these ways that God gives us on how we can know we're saved. And before we read a passage, uh, I want to say a couple of things about 1 John, because 
The reason John, and again, he wrote the Gospel of John and, and multiple books of the Bible, but the reason John wrote this letter is actually found in chapter 5. So I want you to turn there first. I want you to see the reason why he wrote it. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Again, this is toward the end of this letter. He says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Then look at what he says in verse 13. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He says, I've written these things in my letter, and we're going to go back and look at some of them, so that you can have assurance, so you can have confidence that you have eternal life. And so let me just say clearly that the Bible doesn't want us to doubt our salvation. God doesn't want us to doubt our salvation. He wants us to have assurance of our salvation. But we also have to take time, in order to have that assurance, we have to take time to assess our salvation, and that's what we're going to do this morning. So let's look at uh, 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. He writes, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I've come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Father, as we look to your word this morning and look to what your scripture, your word tells us are the signs of salvation in our lives. Lord, first of all, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you that we can even come to know you through what Jesus did for us. But this morning, as we're all sitting in this room today, I pray that every single one of us would not just assume that we're saved, not just um, gloss over this type, of, uh, this type of scripture, but Lord, I hope that and pray that you would help, help every single one of us 
be able to leave today knowing for sure that we know you. Lord, I, I pray that you would move this morning through the power of your spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we dig into this scripture, we're going to just uh, dive right in. Now, let's prayerfully look at some of these signs of salvation uh, that God gives us through John here. First of all, the first sign of salvation that we find in this section of scripture is that you see sin as God does. If you are saved, you will see and view sin and respond to sin as God does. And we see that uh, in the first several verses here, specifically in verse 8 through 10. I want you to notice what it says. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and, and righteous, some translations say just, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, if you go around today and talk to different people about their views of, of sin, particularly if you ask people if they're sinners, you're going to get some different responses. You're going to have some people tell you that they don't sin. And it's not because necessarily, I mean, there, there may be some people who think that they do no wrong, but I think obviously all of us think that we do wrong in some ways. But there are some people, because they don't believe in God or don't believe in Scripture or don't look at sin the same way other people do, that really don't have this concept of sin like God's Word puts forward. And so there are some people who say, well, I, I don't sin because sin's not even a, a real thing. Like, if I do something wrong, who is that really wrong against? You know, that's just my personal decision, so I don't sin. Then you have some other people who may say, well, I sin, but it's not really a big deal. You know, I do some things bad, but... You know, overall, I'm a good person, and, and if I just do more good than bad, you know, it's no big deal. I'm trying to be a good citizen, trying to uh, live my life how, you know, I think is right and those kind of things. And so overall, I wouldn't say that I really sin that much, and it's not that big of a deal. But let me tell you, Scripture never presents sin as no big deal. Scripture is very clear all throughout from the beginning, you see that uh, God punished sin. From the, first, from the first pages of the Bible, you see how big of a deal sin is to God. Isaiah talked about this in Isaiah 59, verse 2. He says, but your iniquities are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't listen. Sin is warned about as being that thing that separates us from a holy God. It's really an act of rebellion before God, and as God has, has told us that uh, how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to go about his way, sin is saying, no, I don't want to listen to you, God, or I don't care what you have to say because I'm putting myself and my wants and my desires first. Sin is putting ourselves in the place of God. And so sin is serious, and we have to view sin as God does. And what happens is when you are in Christ, when you come to know Jesus, because the Holy Spirit of God resides in you, you will view sin differently uh, from that moment on. I remember back in high school, I started playing guitar, and uh, I don't play as much today as I did back then. We had a little uh, band with our youth group that I played in. Uh, at this uh, church we attended where my dad was the pastor, and so I was really into guitar, and 
Uh, I spent a lot of time uh, looking up stuff on the internet on how to play, and I taught myself how to do a lot of, of you know, chords and things like that, and we would play different songs. But one thing I noticed is when I started playing guitar, I began viewing the guitar and people who played the guitar differently than I did before. And let me tell you what I mean. So before I played guitar, I would listen to somebody play and think, oh, that's, that's really good, you know, and I would kind of see how their fingers moved and all of that kind of stuff and think, wow, that, that looks really fun or really neat. But then once I started playing guitar, I began not just to listen to it played, I began to watch and try to notice what chords they were playing. Watch and notice what frets they were on and if they used a capo or not and their strumming patterns and all of these kind of things that really I didn't even think about before I started playing. But now that I started playing, these things changed in my mind. And you see, when we become a Christian, how we view sin before we know Christ versus how we view sin after absolutely must and will change. When we see sin as God does, we no longer want to continue in it. But when we sin, the Bible tells us, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we see sin in our lives as Christians, we're going to repent and turn from those things and want to follow God. This morning, as you think about your life, be honest with yourself. Assess yourself honestly this morning. How do you view your sin? Now let me say that again to make it clear. I'm not asking how you view other people's sin. How do you view your sin? Again, if you say you have no sin, the Bible is clear that you're calling God a liar. So we all have to admit that we have sin. So how do you view your sin this morning? How have you been viewing your sin? Have you been thinking it's no big deal or that God just doesn't care about it? Or do you actually view your sin in a similar way as God does, wanting to repent of that and turn from that because you see it as being wicked and wrong before a holy God? The Bible says if we're in Christ, we're going to view our sin in that way. But if we're not, if we're not viewing our sin in that way, if we're not thinking about it and seeing it as God does, we have to ask ourselves, are we really in Christ? Because if we have the Spirit of God within us, we're going to see sin in this way. But there's a second sign here that John gives us. I want you to look at verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 2. He says, My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin Again, we're striving to live the life God calls us to. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. You see, a second sign for those who are assessing their salvation that we have to consider is not only that we view sin as God does, but also that we trust in Christ alone. If you are saved, if you are, are trusting in the right things, you're going to be trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation. You see, what you put your trust in makes all the difference. I was reading an article this week uh, that was kind of uh, debating a little bit whether or not people could still trust the farmer's almanacs. 
that are out there. How many of you, I'm just curious, I know we have some farmers in the room. How many of you still go by the Farmer's Almanac? Anybody in here? All right, so several. Uh, now, how many of you, especially if you're farmers, tend to go by, and this was the other side of it, like uh, government or uh, news agencies when it comes to the weather report? How many of you use, like, Okay, nobody used the, the weather? Okay. I know a lot, like at my house, we look at the weather app all the time. But here's the thing. The article said, and even the people who were with the Farmer's Almanac, they said, hey, we have to admit, like, nobody can be perfect on this, right? And, of course, we all know that, right? But if you're leaning upon something, especially uh, as a farmer, you've got to trust something, whether it's your Farmer's Almanac or whether it's your own intuition or whether it's, you know, the Weather Channel app on your phone or whatever, because here's the thing, and I've lived in Allen County long enough to know this now, that for many farmers, in the winter especially, what they put their trust in definitely makes a difference, right? Definitely makes a difference. And understand, for your salvation, who or what you are putting your trust in for salvation makes all the difference. We can't put our trust in ourselves, why? Because we are sinners. We are broken. We have to put our faith and trust in Jesus alone. So in thinking about um, your life this morning, what are you putting your trust in when it comes to salvation? What are you banking on that when you stand before God, if he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Would, it say, would you say, well, I went to church? My parents raised me in a Christian home. You know, I, I gave some money in the offering. Uh, I read the Bible some. You know, what would you say in that? What are you banking on? If it's anything else other than Jesus, I want to warn you this morning that you are trusting in the wrong thing. The Bible is clear that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And what we've earned for ourselves is death and separation from God and, and his wrath being poured out on us in hell. But the Bible is also clear that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, who dwelled among us for 33 years, never sinned, lived a perfect life, and fulfilled all the requirements of the law that nobody else could, but yet at the end of his time here on earth, he died a criminal's death, and it wasn't because he deserved it. It was because he was dying for your and my sins. That's what this verse here is talking about uh, in verse 2 of chapter 2. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Jesus died for your sins, and the good news is he didn't stay dead. Three days after he died, he came back to life, he ascended to heaven, and one day he's coming back again. And the Bible says you must believe that and trust that what he did alone for your salvation. And so today, I want to ask you clearly, and I want you to answer honestly, do you believe and trust that Jesus' death and resurrection actually happened, and do you trust that that is enough to save you? Is your trust really in Christ alone? If so, then the Bible says this is a sign that, of course, that you are in the faith. But if the answer is no, then you got to step back and think, okay, this is a red flag. We've seen so far that we have to view sin as God does and trust in Christ alone, but I want to show you one more that sometimes is overlooked. Look at verse 3, chapter 2. 
This is how we know that we know him. This is the thing, like, this is, like, again, John was writing to people who claim to be believers. He says, this is one, like, this is what you can look for in your life if we keep his commands. He goes on to say, the one who says, I've come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth isn't in him. Verse 6, he says, the one who says he remains in him, talking about Christ, should walk just as he walked. So the third sign John gives us here is that you seek to obey Christ. You have this desire, this growing desire, and, and this drive within you to obey Jesus. One of the questions I've been asked also about salvation just throughout my ministry is, how much of the Bible do I need to know to be saved? Maybe you've asked that or thought that before. Uh, I got asked this a lot when I was a children's pastor. Like, how much of the Bible do kids need to know before they're saved? And again, if we're all honest this morning, like, none of us would know everything there is to know about the Bible before we die, right? I mean, you can study this book till the day that you pass, and there will be so much more for us to learn and so much, many more ways for us to grow. And so I've been asked, how much of the Bible do you have to know before you're saved? And I think it's a good question. I would say the answer to that is you don't have to know it all initially, right? You don't have to know it because there is no real way to know everything. But you do have to know some essentials. You have to know the gospel. You have to know what Jesus did for you. I mean, think about those New Testament Christians who were coming to the faith. Many of them were Gentiles, unfamiliar with a lot of the, the Old Testament. All they knew was what Jesus said and what he did for them. And they were getting saved and wanting to follow Jesus, and they were figuring it out along the way. But here's the difference. Those who are between those who are in Christ and those who, who aren't, those who are in Christ, as they are learning and growing after that moment in time decision, let's say five, ten years down the road, they're reading their Bibles and they see what it says and they see that it demands a life change. They submit themselves to what God's Word says because they love Jesus and want to follow Him and they're, they're saying, I've submitted my life to Him and so I want to do what this says. But those who are not in the faith, even if they claim to have a moment-in-time decision or moment-in-time feeling or whatever, five, ten years down the road, reading their Bible and say, you know, I, no, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do that. Or, you know, I, I just, I really don't know about all this, you know. And, and they're not submitting themselves to the Word of God. And I mentioned this recently, but, you know, Jesus talked about these kind of hearts with the parable of the sower and the different types of soil. And he said some people will look like they're in the faith, and then as time goes on, they will seem to walk away. You see, if we see sin in the same way Jesus does, in the same way God does, we're going to seek to obey him. If we realize and believe the price that Jesus paid for our sin, we're going to seek to obey him. If we love the Lord and trust that he knows what's best for us and that his word is truth, we're going to seek to obey him. And so in thinking about your own life, this is one area that I think sometimes that people who claim to be Christians fail to assess. Do you have a growing desire to obey Jesus? Do you seek to obey him in the decisions that you make? Again, I'm not saying that we're perfect. 
We're not going to do everything perfectly because we're still learning and growing. But along the timeline, we should be growing more and more to look like Christ. And so as you look back over your life or you look back, you know, from as far back as you can remember, can you say today that your goal, that your desire is to follow and obey Jesus? Now, God's Word has clearly shown us some signs that we cannot ignore. Imagine going through life and ignoring every sign that you see. Imagine that. Imagine driving down the road and ignoring the street signs. Some of you are thinking that sounds like my spouse. And, you know, maybe so. I mean, maybe you'll get this illustration a little, a little bit better. But imagine that you're going through life and you ignore street signs, you ignore signs in restaurants, you ignore signs in your workplace, you ignore signs maybe when you're visiting a new area, and you just don't look at anything that they have to say. Chances are, if, if you lived like that, you would never know exactly where you were to go, you would never know the right direction to go, you would never know how to make certain decisions or how to assess if you were where you needed to be. And the same is true if we ignore the signs that God gives us in his word. You see, if we're going to assess salvation, if we're going to ask, am I really saved? We have to ask the one who has the answer. We can't just ask our feelings. Can't just ask ourselves. We have to look to see what God says in answering this question. And so for you today, when you ask that question, how can I know I'm saved? God's word clearly shows us that some signs of salvation, some signs of God working in your life is that you see sin as God does, you trust in Christ alone, and you seek to obey Jesus. And so today it comes down to the question, are these signs present in your life? Do you see God working in these ways in your life? And let me just say, if you do, if you know that you are a Christian, if you have assurance of that, praise God. Praise God and live in that assurance. Know that Jesus saved you because it's not about you. It's all about him. It's all about what he's done. Hold on to that. Live in that. But if your answer is, no, I don't see these signs in my life. Or even if your answer is, well, I think I might, but I'm not sure. Then let me say, talk to someone before you leave today. I would love to talk to you. Uh, maybe you can come forward or I can meet with you after church. One of our pastors here on staff would love to talk to you. Your Sunday school leader, godly family member, friend here in this room would love to talk to you more about what it means to really be a Christian. But Listen, we have the opportunity today for every single one of us to walk out of this room and know for sure that we know Jesus. We have the opportunity today to do that. You can know for sure that you're saved. And so if there's any question about that, get that settled this morning. I want you to look back or listen one more time to 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13. Again, this is where assurance is found. This is how we can know. The Bible tells us, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son, that's talking about Jesus, 
has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This morning, do you know that? Do you know for sure that you have eternal life? If not, today's the day of salvation. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can have assurance of our faith because it's not in ourselves, it's in Jesus. Lord, I pray for maybe somebody here this morning who does not have that assurance, who needs assurance. I pray that you will help them talk to someone. I pray that you would help them get that assurance before they leave today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.